Hi. Hi, I'm Catty. Thank you so, so Oh my God, so I'm so happy. Does everybody who meets you who used to do ballet stand in automatically in first oh. position? Is that like a giveaway? <laughs> and yeah. so you have. That's what I have. I, and I've been doing it. You know what's weird? Preparing for the, I find myself all day standing in first position again. Oh, it's been so many makes years. It makes you stand up straight. It makes you stand up straight. It's so good for you. I know. I, Thank you for doing this. Thank I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. So I. I actually, when I was about 13, I applied to the Royal Ballet School in London. <gasps> and I didn't get in, which is just as well, because I'd have been way in the backstage of the corps de ballet, kind of ideally out of the set. <gasps> um, but I've wanted to oh, meet you wow. for so long, so that's great. <laughs> so when you come onto a stage, Misty, having not danced since 2019, <laughs> how are we feeling? <laughs> How's your body doing? Um, I mean, it's like different air up here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Rarified. I say, yeah, it's yeah. it's like this um, very sacred space to be in. Um, it's magic, you know, what we get to do up here. One of my favorite things to do is to be on the stage before the the you know they let the the house they open the house they let the audience in. Um, I always am on the stage by myself. It's a different very different feeling than being in a studio. The mirrors, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a completely different depth that you have to get used to. It changes your center of gravity, your balance, everything. So it's something that I always do, um, is just to kind of be out here and like, breathe the air. Are you listening to the ballet? Are you listening to the music? No, no, I know it in my head enough that I could even just like, um, just go through the movement and, and I have like the rhythm and everything in my in my body. Um, no, I never like put on any music or I just am there. And I like to walk through, you know, certain parts of the ballet. Can I see something? Can you do Oh my that? gosh. Can you just do <laughs> like, I don't even know. <laughs> you could do a plie for me and oh, I would be. I mean, in my heels, I don't even know what I would do. There's like the firebird movement. <laughs> in heels and still do. Okay, when I get back into my ballet classes, which I am going to do, because I've looked them up now, which feels scary for me after so many years. Obviously, my body can't do what it could do when it was 13, 14, 15. But you sh it sh and it shouldn't, you know? And it shouldn't. And it shouldn't. And it's and just... You, how are you coping with that? How are you coping with a body that is 40, you've had a child... It's not, you're not, is your body, how is your body's relationship with ballet? It's not even to me about, it's more about like the injuries that I've had and kind of right. dealing with that. Um, I feel good having had a baby. Um, you know, I'm in the gym, I'm doing Pilates and things like that. Do you but still have the same amazing reach? It's, I would say so. It's been a while. I, it's, it's been really inconsistent in terms of like what I've been doing with ballet. Um, and that's because of uh, an injury I had to my shin that I'm still managing. It will never be the same. I, I recently had another operation on it to relieve some of the pressure and it didn't do anything. Um, right. So that's, that's really the biggest battle that I'm, that I'm facing. Not so much my age or, you know, baby, um, because I feel like we're ever evolving as artists, as people, as mm -hmm. women. And so it's like, you kind of have to just move and adjust with that. But when you're dealing with pain, that's a whole other story. So that's kind of where I'm so at. So, you, it's a, so you're going to give your body a bit of grace as it gets older? Yes, and yes. We, and <laughs> forgive it for, for not being misty at 20? Yes, and that's, that's how nice. it's been my whole career. 
you know, that you're never going to go back to that person. Your body's never going to be, you know, you have to just continue to let it grow and, and change. Is it hard to accept that? Is it hard to think that one day you won't be <laughs> dancing the way you have been? I mean, your ballet has been in your life for 27 years. Yeah. And you, is it a little scary to think no. that there's going to be a post performance no. misty? Not at all. I mean, I already feel like I'm kind of in this place where it feels really natural. I haven't, haven't been on stage in about three years. I know I'll be back on the stage at some point, and it may look very different from what it's been throughout my professional career. But that feels so healthy and normal to me. I have so many things in my life that um, kind of fulfill what ballet has been. And ballet is still in that. Right. You know, again, it's it's the work I'm doing through my foundation. It's these incredible projects that I'm creating with my production company. Um, it's having a son. It's all of these things. So to me, this feels like a really natural evolution um, that I'm just kind of going with the flow. It's so healthy. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I feel like um, towards the end of uh, beginning of the pandemic, like right before I had a back injury. And I think I had just been really overworked yeah. you know it had been 20 years of working work. non-stop mm -hmm. you know I think about vacations where I was still you know taking ballet class every day and I had my point shoes no matter where I was in the world my poor husband would find a studio or a gym and we'd drive an hour so I feel like I'm just at a place now where I'm so content and I'm so proud of the career that I've had and I know that there will be more performances um and it just feels right, you know. You know I re I, let's take a seat. You, I remember somewhere listening to something you said and you said about how when you were young, your childhood was chaotic. Mm -hmm. And you lived in motels. Your mother had partners who were sometimes abusive. There was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of moving. Did ballet, when you finally found it at the age of 13, give you some sense of of what of of control hmm. over your body of yeah. something that you hadn't had before? you know i think it was it was more than the control over my body i think it was control over the situation it was control over my life in some way um it was consistency it was stability it was an escape a beautiful artistic expression escape um, all of those things were things I don't think I realized I needed or I was craving. I was craving a discipline, I, you know, to have that kind of structure. Um, and ballet was just perfect in every way to fill all of those needs, all of those voids um, in my life. To be able to think about, you know, sometimes not knowing whether we were going to pick up and leave in the morning, what we were going to eat for dinner that night. And to know that I was going to go to ballet class the next day at three o'clock and do plies and tendus and degages and fondues. It was going to be the same order. Like there was something so comforting and made me feel so safe um, about that. How quickly did you know how good you were? I don't know that I ever really knew how good I was um, or believed I was just doing something that I loved. Um, I was doing something where I felt uh, I was being supported and nurtured, which I'd never felt. Um, I mean, uh, from the time I started, my teacher was telling me I was a prodigy. 
Um, I was receiving full scholarships when I would audition for summer intensive programs. So there were a lot of schools that wanted me, but in my mind, you know, I knew that I was far behind the other students and that I had a lot of catching up to do, but I knew that I was a fighter and I knew that this was something that I wanted to do. So I was going to work as hard as I possibly could to, to catch up and get to where um, I needed to be and wanted to be. You came to New York from California and I wonder how much of a sh shock it was to get to the American Ballet Theater and look around and see that you were the only black dancer in it. Mm. You, you must have known ballet was white, very white. Did you know it was that white that you would come here and be the only one? I'm not sure how aware I was. Uh, my teacher, Cindy Bradley, is an incredible woman. And she was very conscious of the fact that I'm a black woman, that I was a black girl, and that I needed to be as focused on getting the training that I needed to get in order to get to where we wanted me to go, which was to dance professionally for American Ballet Theater or another professional company. When I moved to New York City, it definitely was a shock. I don't think that um, I was prepared enough in knowing how to navigate, you know, the, the space um, where I would get support from, because it's not something that's really built in um, to the professional uh, surroundings and atmosphere in a ballet company. They expect you to come in and be an adult. And at 17 years old and someone who was very, you know, kind of guarded and, and isolated, I was not at all prepared um, to take on what it meant to be the only in, in the company. You're also in ballet kind of uniquely all expected to be identical. I mean, that's the whole thing about what has been over centuries the quarter ballet looked exactly the same. They looked the same. They had the same body. They had the same outfit. They had the same skin color. They moved identically. I mean, that was was kind of the essence of ballet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And in a way, of all the many disruptive things you've done, I feel it's disrupting that notion mm -hmm. of what ballet had to be. For centuries, it was like that. And then you came along and we said no. I think there are so many things that I think about in terms of disrupting the, the field and... Um, and, um, you know, provoking the conversation um, to be really intentional about the lack of diversity. Um, but you're right. But I have to say that I'm not the first to do it. There have been so many black dancers that have um, that have come into professional ballet companies and been the only or been one of maybe two. Um, and it, it hasn't always been accepted. Um, you know, for the most part, a lot of the, the, the black dancers that have been taken into, you know, elite professional companies have lighter skin or are biracial because they can more easily fit in. They can pancake their skin to be a lighter color to fit in with the rest of the corps de ballet. Um, and would it be harder if you had darker skin? Would you be mystical? Absolutely, it would be harder. I mean, there are so many dancers that have, that have the talent. This is not a, a, an issue of not being able to find talented black and brown dancers. This is an issue of not um, having the support, not having the access or opportunity, and not being, not being seen as equal. All the girls put on powder. 
but you're being asked to put on the same color powder, pancake, white. white. Um, and, and then that's when I start to think like, well, wh what's going on here? Do they want me to look like myself or do, um, do they want me to be an individual and still be able to take on this character, um, but as myself in my brown skin and that's who I am. Like I said, it's a lot easier for a lighter skin um, black woman, I want to say in particular woman, because it's a different journey for black men um, to to kind of blend in with the, with the company. And then that's another battle that we have to face, you know, whether or not we want to um, color our skin. You literally said, hold on, why am I putting on white makeup? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it was a tough conversation to have and even tough to um, absorb like what that really means and how it really is making me feel internally. Um, and it's and it's hard because it's kind of mixed in with this idea of, well, within these certain ballets, if you think of Swan Lake or Giselle or even Labaya Dare, and you're supposed to be otherworldly or you're supposed to um, be a fairy or a creature, or not be alive. And so they say that you need to make your skin matte or not shiny. And so it took me a couple of years to feel confident enough and comfortable enough to go and, and have agency over myself and, um, and express what it was I was feeling with my artistic director and with the artistic staff. How much has changed, Misty, just like even in the conversation in the United States? I mean, we've had so much upheaval, Me Too, George Floyd, even COVID. I mean, how much is, how much is the conversation different today than how it would have been even five years ago? It was mind blowing to me to see the shift happen during COVID and, you know, with the uprise of Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd. Um, you know, it was something that I knew I would always be fighting for, to push this conversation, to, to see real change happen. And, um, but I never imagined it would happen so quickly. Um, there's still so much that needs to be done. Can ballet become more um, more open to diversity, not just of color of somebody's skin, but also of their, even their body type. We have tons of ballet dancers with eating disorders. They starve themselves. They, they just look unhealthily thin. And then I imagine you come along, you were told this. Your mm -hmm. body was what was it told? You're not traditional or something? Yeah. I mean, there's so much deeper... Um, kind of underlying meaning behind the things I was told. Really? Because when people meet me, you know, they're like, wow, you're really small. <laughs> you're very petite and you're lean. And so, you know, I've had to think a lot about why those things are being said to me or even look at the bodies next to me of, of the dancers who are not black and say, um, do we look that different? Um, I mean, I was told I was too muscular, I was too short, my breasts are too big. Um, and to me, that's all code for your skin is too dark, your skin is too brown. Um, but it is possible. This is an art form and it's subjective and we're, we're you know, it's a creative um, environment where, you know, it's not about to me, it's not about what the package is. It's how you make people feel. It's the interpretation. It's how you deliver the performance, the the, the character. And that can be done in a variety of, of bodies, of people, wherever they come from. I mean, the characters themselves aren't real. 
you know, that's a big part of it too. I mean, there, of course, there, there needs to be an evolution, I think, of a lot of the stories that we're telling in ballet um, that, you know, were created centuries ago um, that no longer reflect society. They don't reflect what people uh, experience today. A lot of them are really sexist, really racist. So it's something that we're conscious of, um, more so in America than we are in other countries. There are still ballets that are being performed in blackface in Russia. Um, you got into a bit of a spat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that it's so necessary to, to speak up that, um, you know, we're no longer living in these times where uh, there's no access to seeing what they're doing at the Bolshoi or the Mariinsky or whatever company, the Royal Ballet. You go on YouTube, you, whatever it is, and you have access to seeing all of this. So it's not like they're isolated in a place where they feel people won't be offended who's coming to see them. Um, that's kind of their reasoning behind it. Well, we're not America. We don't have the history of slavery that you do. And we don't think that people will be offended because this is just what we've always done. And that's not the case. So many people are watching and the world, you know, we have so much access to all of this. And I just think that it's time that we, um, we can hold on to the tradition and, and some of these ballets that, of course, you, you know, people uh, still want to see. But we have to continue to evolve and it has to represent more than just one type of person. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Okay, I, I don't want to keep you seated in check because I have Mr. Copeland on stage. No, no. And I feel like I'm, I'm you know, wasting my opportunity here. I have something to show you. Okay. So come. I'm okay. going to show you this. Oh, we're I'm very excited. Here. So we have to move all of the cameras over. Okay. We're going to sit here. And okay. Do something. We're going to sit here if I can actually get down here. <laughs> you know, an eight-year-old. Eight-year-old, <laughs> but we can get down there. Okay. So. Scenes from your life. Oh, Mystic my gosh. <laughs> and I want your reaction to the uh, So oh, This photograph. So this. Oh. You know this one. Yes. I'm sure you know all of these. <laughs> this one, I love. How, how long did it take you to get on points? Um, I think it was two months. So this was the two very- months? Yeah, this was the very first time I ever put on a point shoe and stood on point. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was 13. I, you know, had, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, putting point shoes on after two months. Okay, this oh. we were talking about. Earlier. Yes. This was here at Lincoln Center. Yes, right? yes. This is the Firebird. Um, it's probably in that first performance at Lincoln Center. Um, there's so many mixed feelings around this image because, like you were saying earlier, what that night represented for you know black and brown community to come out and support. We'd never seen that many fill the fill the house of of, of the Metropolitan Opera House. I remember people sending me photographs of the line that was wrapped around and outside of, of the fountain that were just black people. It was like, what, are they going to church? Like, what's <laughs> happening? Because that's what you did. You know, you don't typically see that many black people going into Lincoln Center. Um, and so for what it represents, there's so many happy memories. But then I also had six stress fractures in my tibia um, and pulled out of the season the next day. The next day? And ended up having a plate screwed into my tibia. So you basically did that once. Were you in agony the whole time? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, once you go on stage, so much is, you know, the adrenaline and everything is, you know, so much is forgotten. Killer. Yes, it's a great painkiller. But then as soon as, you know, all of that subsides and, and um, I remember taking the subway home that night and I and it hurt just to stand. 
Um, and you knew you couldn't. There's no way. I knew that that was it. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with disappointments like that? Oh, you, uh, for me, I, d- I tend to not go inside into this dark place. It's, um, I try and find ways to do whatever I can um, that's in my control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so it, during that time, I found a teacher that would work with me doing floor bar movement and exercises. So I wasn't standing, but I was still continuing to keep my muscles um, strong and in form. Um, I just kept working on things that I had control over and um, I never have followed this path that anyone else has. So I always thought there's still hope even at 29 years old when I got injured that I could be a principal dancer. And I just kind of kept that in, in my Because here you were a soloist. You I was not still a soloist. Another way you've been influential, by the way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's this must have felt good. That was unbelievably surreal. I remember being, um, I was on my way to rehearsal from the Upper West Side. I was heading downtown and I remember my manager Gilda calling me and telling me that I was going to be one of the covers. And I was just, I like, I couldn't, I was like, no, like not until I see it, is it really real? Um, that, that was an unbelievable time. I had been promoted to principal dancer and it just was kind of a whirlwind. But even seeing something like this, it took me years to really accept that I had been promoted um, and that this history had, you know, taken place, uh, you know, ABT 75 year history, kind of breaking that barrier of being the first black woman. Why do you think you're influential? Oh, <laughs> I've never been asked that before. Um, you know, I, I think that because I, I look at myself and my career as not me, you know, it's, it's what I represent. It's all of the people that have gotten me to this place that I stand on the shoulders of. Um, it's giving them voice. It's giving a voice to the voiceless, to so many who um, haven't been given the same opportunities as me. Um, that it's about giving back to, um, you know, to those who um, need guidance and need support, you know. Um, I just think of my life and my career as this very holistic thing and that it's a give and take um, and that it's not just about me. It's so much bigger than me. Misty, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.